2: Go to your happy place for a happy price.
1: Go to your happy price, price Priceline.
0: Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we come to you tonight with our mid-season top 50 prospect update, which represents probably the biggest change to a top 50 we've had in three years on the air, including a new number one prospect, We'll get that in just a moment, but first, we want to shout out a new member of our Patreon community, and I'll turn that over to Bob.
2: Yeah, so we got another new patron. Seems like we've had a consistent stretch of like one every week or so. Love it. Robert Holt, welcome aboard. Thanks for paying for a year up front, too. Saves you a little bit of money, and you get an access for a year. You don't have to worry about getting charged again. So welcome aboard, Robert.
0: Thank you for joining, Robert. and. We will get in now to our top 50 prospect list. If you're watching this live, check baltimoresportsandlife.com in the next day or two. All 50 reports will be up on the site. Um, If you're listening to this later on, on whatever wherever you get your podcasts from, it's probably already up on the site. So check out baltimoresportsandlife.com for the full reports. And on this episode, we're going to highlight all 50 players in this list, as we always do when we do our top 50s. And we'll start off with, kind of the primer on how this list is put together. And I'll turn that over to Bob again, who, as he has for all of our top 50s going back to 2020, crunched the numbers to compile the final list.
2: Yeah, the power's starting to go to my head. But no, I take our individual top 50 list and you know whoever's ranked number one gets 50 points, two gets 49, all the way down to the 50th ranked player gets one point from each list. I just combine the numbers and then say, okay, put them in order and then ties go to there's a little bit of a a series of events where if we all three have a person on versus two and it's the same score, I go to the one with three or I, my next thing is if they're the same amount of lists that they're on, but it's tied, whoever has a higher grade on one of the person's lists gets it, et cetera, et cetera. And ties suck. So I try to break them. And yeah, that's basically it.
0: Well, we'll dive right in. Adley Rutzman is no longer prospect eligible, which means that we have a new number one on our list. And that is Gunnar Henderson, the shortstop slash third baseman currently with the Norfolk Tides, that is having what is probably the best all-around season of any Orioles minor leaguer to this point. And we're just going to start with him because we're recording this show on the same day that Baseball America released its midseason top on our prospect list. And who was number one on that list? Gunnar Henderson. And in the lead up to our show tonight, the three of us I know all struggled with Gunner Henderson or Grayson Rodriguez, number one. And in the end, it was unanimous. All three of us went with Gunner Henderson for the first choice. And Nick, I'm going to start this one with you because you have pointed this out repeatedly on our show and over on our Twitter at BSL and the Verds. Gunnar Henderson has dominated at AA and AAA this year and has yet to face a pitcher that is younger than him. Henderson just turned 21, I believe, back at the end of May, and he has yet to face a pitcher that is younger than him this season.
1: Yeah, that's the most phenomenal aspect of all of this. Not one single plate appearance against a pitcher younger than him. Uh, And he's look just look at his triple A line as of today. A 151 WRC plus is over 200, 205 plate appearances. So, I mean, you're talking a real sample size here. 151 WRC plus he's already got nine home runs, which exceeds his double A total. OPS is at 946. Justin Triple A. I mean, it's I. It was a last-second switch for me because I was joking. I didn't want to get bullied. Uh, I did have Grayson <laughs> as my number one up until the the last minute there. But um, I think this is the right move to have Gunnar Henderson at number one. And it's not a shot at Grayson Rodriguez, or it's not you know any, a knock on him because of the injury. This is how well Gunnar Henderson is playing. And I think Baseball America's report the very last line summed it up the best Um, with few holes in his game and prodigious production. Henderson could be on the cusp of stardom. I think all the hype that we've been generating for the last year or so is real. And uh, he is truly, truly broken out this year in in a major way.
2: Yeah. He might be a better prospect than Adley Rutschman by the time he gets promoted or by the time if he doesn't get promoted, you know, opening day of next year comes around, which is pretty crazy to say. And, Maybe he's not. I mean, Adley was pretty uh, prodigious and, and up there. But I feel like, you know, Gunnar Henderson, at least to me, he seems like a step above in his own tier right now as far as Major League Baseball prospects go. Because Baseball America had Jack Centurio number two, who is a great prospect, no doubt about it. But he just got promoted to high A as a 18, 19 year old. Um, So, yeah, at least with Adley, excuse me, he had Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt to contend with, to me, Gunnar, and maybe the Arizona Corbin Carroll might be the one that is up there with him. But it's just incredibly exciting. You graduate Adley Rutschman and you just replace him with another top prospect in all of baseball and Gunnar Henderson. And you lose Adley Rutschman and you're still the best farm system in baseball because of Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez. I'm not really docking Grayson because of the injury. That's why I had him above Gunner until maybe a week ago. Like I still think he'll when he's back, he'll he'll be fine. Back, back. He has a back injury. Um he'll be fine and he'll has ace potential. So I think they could be easily be one and two prospects in baseball and obviously the one and two best prospects in this system. But I just had to put Gunner over the top there because just what he's done all year, he had what a 10 day stretch in AAA where he slumped and that was it. He adjusted immediately and came right back hot as ever. So
0: yeah, this the thing with Henderson is that we've seen him improve in just about every facet of the game this season. He's gotten better defensively at both shortstop and third base. His plate approach is miles apart from where it was last year. He's hitting for contact more and, Honestly, the power has been more impressive than it was last year, which was not something I was expecting. I got to see Henderson Friday night in Norfolk and opposite field home run onto the party deck out in left field, which is not an easy thing to do at Harbor Park. You know, we talked about a lot last year when he was in Salisbury, he would hit opposite field home runs at Purdue Stadium, which is not easy. That might be an even harder shot the other way in Norfolk. And a few at-bats before that – Hard hit double down the line. Um, the other thing that I will say, too, an underrated aspect of Henderson's game is his speed. He really does run well for a guy his size, and you can look at the 16 stolen bases and 19 attempts this season. as evidence of that, but he's just as quick around the bases. He has good footwork in the infield. I think that either of those spots for the here and now, you know, whether or not he's a shortstop in seven or eight years, is up for debate. But for the here and now, I think he's perfectly capable of both of those positions.
2: Yeah, that home run was insane because the video looks like a pop-up or maybe he fouled a ball off just fighting it off, and that might have cleared the new wall in in Camden Yards. I mean, that thing was just a bomb to the dead opposite field. I I couldn't believe that got out the way it did.
1: And looking at his speed, I mean – not even just the stolen bases. He's got, he had three triples earlier this year in Bowie and he's got three more in Norfolk. And how many times has have we seen him? looks like a, just a routine single base hit. And he turns it into a hustle double, especially last year. I know a lot, especially in the lower levels, of the minor leagues, he's aggressive out there in the base paths, but he's smart when he's aggressive. Uh, so he hasn't been caught stealing too many times. I mean, three, four, five, trying to do quick math, live on air, like <laughs> six or seven times. He's been caught stealing his entire career. Uh, so yeah that's that's a sneaky part of his game and the defense yeah I don't care if he plays third base I don't care if he plays shortstop I really I I really don't care I think he's going to excel at either position and be a plus defender he's he's made a number of impressive strides I think and more specifically the arm I think it was the throwing errors getting to balls the range never really been an issue for him but the throwing errors I think were that, that was an issue for him last season and he's cleaned that up a lot this year I think
2: The thing I like most about him, though, I know this is a cliche term at this point, but is the growth mindset, because, I mean, you can just tell he is a guy that is never going to be satisfied with his production. He is constantly going to be looking to improve. You know, like you hear Mike Trout is even though he's the best player ever, basically, he's constantly trying to figure out, okay, what am I weakest at and improve that? He just seems like that kind of guy, just the way he plays, like you said, all out and just the improvement we've seen from year to year with him between the swing decisions, the, the power, the, now he's adjusting to lefties. He's got a pretty good uh, numbers against lefties in AAA since he's seen more of them there. And I don't know, to me, like I, I've never seen in my time as an Orioles fan, someone make this big of improvements in this short of time.
0: We'll move on now to the rest of the top 10, Grayson Rodriguez, as we mentioned, number two, Number three, welcome to the top 50. Welcome to the Orioles organization. Jackson Holiday, the first pick overall in this year's draft. Number four, D.L. Hall. Number five, Colton Cowser, who is tearing the cover off the ball at Double A Bowie right now. And I think the Harrisburg Senators pitching staff is happy that he and the rest of the Bay Sox lineup are no longer on City Island. Uh, number six, power hitting third baseman, Kobe Mayo. Number seven, Jordan Westberg. Number eight. Kyle Stowers right there on the cusp of the major leagues, having an excellent season at Norfolk number nine, another power hitting outfielder Heston Kerstad. It has been fun to see him back on the field this year, but it's been fun to watch him hit and play a solid right field at loe Del Delmarva and high A Aberdeen and number 10, welcome to the top 50 and welcome to the Orioles organization, Dylan Beavers, a draft pick in 2022 out of the university of California. So, An interesting mix here. We've talked about Rodriguez a little bit, and we'll focus on two through five. Rodriguez, Holiday, Hall, Kowser. This is a really solid list, and I think in most organizations, any of the players in that group could be a number one prospect, easily. And I think right now you have consensus, top 100 prospects overall in the minor leagues in that group as well. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. We what what's players kind of stand out to you obviously all of them do but is there a single thing when you look at these guys that you see as a highlight
2: yeah it's colton cowser i almost put him at four over Dl hall and again not because Dl hall i mean i'm not really worried about these these struggles that he's had triple a i mean this is a guy who hasn't pitched much and he's just getting a new ball and triple a he's on the cusp of the majors he's got some of the best stuff in all of baseball not worried about him but i almost put Kowser over him because this, and I had Kobe Mayo above Kowser last month, but just the way he's performed at AA Bowie is unbelievable. Shout out to Mackis on the Baltimore Sports and Life message board who wrote, I was curious about how Kowser would have to hit to fall even with Rutschman in the same number of plate appearances, talking about the numbers that Rutschman put up when he was at AA Bowie last year. Kowser would have to hit 217 with the 332 on base in 426, slugging over the next 216 plate appearances to fall down to the same slash line. So that just shows how productive he has been. And he's robbing home runs in the field, making great plays, throwing people out with his arm. I think his defense is underrated at this point. He's really smooth out there, so he doesn't have to make these like electric plays. He's just where the ball needs to be. Obviously, he's an on-base machine. He's going to be the perfect leadoff hitter for any team. The power he's showing when he gets out of a, you know, polo ground style ballpark in Aberdeen and uh, yeah I just think all around people were too worried about the early
1: struggles with the strikeouts and he's been flying ever since you had so many people pouncing on Colton Kowser's start with Aberdeen and I think it's because largely because the strikeouts were up through those first couple of weeks of the season and as a reminder this was his very first full season as a pro and it was that's one of those examples where I love all the attention that prospects are getting. And we've got how many guys on this top 50 list and some guys that aren't on our, going to be on our top 50 list that other Orioles fans are getting hype over. Uh, and, and I love seeing that. But at the same time, one of the downsides is the, the nitpicking with so many of these guys. And Kowser is one of them. Um, you know, I, I will say that I would have never guessed that his buoy numbers were going to be this good as high as I was on him, like this is a whole nother level. And it's got a tw- an 1122 OPS and a 203 WRC plus in Bowie, like 100 WRC plus is league average. There's more than double league average right now. The power that's emerging is beautiful to see. I was expecting maybe an adjustment period in Bowie, the cries, the pitch more pitchforks to come out for Colton Kowser because he's struggling double a. And then maybe he gives you enough at the end of the season to say, all right, to quiet some of the, the doubters and say, all right, there's confidence going into 2023, but we still do have some questions, right? Like I, I have no more questions. Like that's that's it. Um I'm fine with him being ranked ahead of Mayo, although on my own personal list, I did still have Mayo above Kowser. But that's just because when I think of like the ceiling at this point, I, I think I still think Mayo has a higher ceiling than Colton Kowser, but like what he's doing in Bowie is just phenomenal. And and there's no denying it at this point.
2: Yeah, I do agree. Mayo has a bigger ceiling still, but just to be this productive at AA, and obviously Mayo got derailed as soon as he got to AA. So, you know, if he wouldn't have got hurt, maybe he's putting up, you know, tremendous numbers as well, and I would still have him above Couser. But at this point, I just had to put him over him.
0: Yeah, I have to give credit to friend of the show, John Mioli, uh, for the articles he's written about Couser over at his newsletter, Maximizing Playoff Odds. He has really kind of dug into – Colton Calder's development this season and what he was working on early on that kind of explains some of his struggles at Aberdeen and where now I think he's clearly struck a balance. He's found a way to stick with what has worked for him for so long, but at the same time incorporate the things that the Orioles were trying to work on him with, you know, in spring training and at Aberdeen to tap into that power because he's hitting for more power right now than he has at any point in pro ball. Part of that is moving out of Ripken Stadium, but I think part of it is also getting more comfortable to play it overall. I just don't think he was comfortable that first month. It took a few weeks for him to settle in. And really going back to the beginning of June at Aberdeen, all the way up until now, he has been one of the best hitters in the Orioles farm system and maybe one of the best hitters overall in the minor leagues.
2: And yet he's only the 97th best prospect in baseball, according to Baseball America. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: that's, that's going right. yeah. <laughs> to stick with him. That's going to stick with him. I think I'm not the first person to say this. A lot of people echoed this already as well, but like the fact that there's so much vitriol towards that pick from like the outside perspective, the fact that he's this under-slot pick, small school guy with, you know, I think pretty much all the scouting reports were kind of the same, right? Yeah, he's a good hitter, but he's got a lot of average to maybe slightly above-average tools, but nothing that really, really sticks out. And so I think that, moniker that's always going to stick with him and knock him down these these national lists but he's fighting back with his play on the field which is uh amazing um and i think looking else the rest of this top 10 i actually wanted to have dl hall higher DL hall in my mind could be as high as number two on this list That might be kind of a hot take at this point but i just feel like the stuff is that good and Luckily, he bounced back. When we're recording this, he just pitched what five and a third, two on runs, struck out eight. Uh, had a good outing after that rough start, but he's coming off a stretch where he struck out 50% of the batters he faced. More he faced what 80 straight batters. He struck out 40, 41 of them. And I thought that was going to be it. He's coming to the major leagues. He threw that one inning after the break. But here we go. The Orioles are back home after the break. This is deal hall time. And then he has a couple really, really bad outings. Uh, I'm still not too concerned, but I'm starting to see more and more of that relief risk with Hall. I will admit that, which is why I knocked him down to number four, but man, just if he just throws strikes and we've been saying that for a while, but he also had three wild pitches uh, the other night on Sunday, which did not help him. So maybe having Adley behind the plate could be a huge benefit with him instead of having Jacob Nottingham and Anthony Ben Boom back there. I want to see, I want to see him in the majors with uh, Adley behind the plate. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everybody. It's like, he needs to work on some more things and stay down AAA. I think you put him in majors now. Get him with Adley and let's see what happens.
2: Yeah, apparently he's uh, a kid asked him, is this going to be the last time you're pitching in the minor leagues? And he said, no, there's a couple things we need to work on still. So at least the team is on the same page as him. They've clearly communicated that. But I honestly think he's the type of guy that no matter how he's pitching in the moment, if he gets called up to make his major league debut, he's going to just come right at the occasion and pitch lights out. I just feel like he's a guy that's going to you know, rise to the occasion and make the most of his abilities. Just throw the ball over in the middle with your stuff, and you should do pretty good.
0: He has electric stuff, and I, I agree. There is, there is a strong argument for putting him at number two. I don't think that's a hot take at all because if you want to look at ceiling, there aren't a lot of left-handed pitchers like D.L. Hall in baseball right now. But there is a relief risk there. I think that it's really just a mat, It's a couple of things. It's throwing more strikes, and I think it's what we've seen from him at Norfolk has been when it rains, it pours. And it's just trying to find ways that when your stuff is not at your best to minimize the damage. I thought that that was something that Grayson Rodriguez has gotten a lot better at um, going back to last year. And it's something I still want to see from D.L. Hall, but... I'm not going to penalize him completely as a prospect for that because the raw stuff is just so good that you just don't see a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Credit to him on on Sunday. I know we're only talking about one outing, but credit to him on Sunday coming off two disaster outings and that first inning on Sunday. And that, that Nashville lineup is loaded with some unbelievable prospects uh, I love Milwaukee system and they only beefed up that Nashville lineup and their minor leagues with that, that, Josh Hader trade there, but whole another discussion. But uh, that first inning, I was like, here we go. It's happening again. He's going to melt down again. I, I don't even want to watch this anymore. It's this going to get bad. People are going to rip this apart. And he settled in really well. I think his last couple of frames, I mean, he was throwing nine pitch innings, 11 pitch innings uh, near the back end of that start. So I mean, credit to him. Like he, he, he's improving. There are improvements happening. He is not a complete fall from grace there with deal.
2: Yeah, for sure. And if I could change the subject to another guy in this top 10, I, I'd like to talk about Jordan Westberg at number seven. I mean, he came into AAA obviously and just ambushed the pitching there with hitting for power, just hitting the ball all over the field. But I did notice when he was doing that, that his walk rate was like incredibly low versus his normal walk rate throughout his minor league career. So to me, that was just him, I'm going to ambush these guys and try to force my way up to the majors. Maybe I don't know, but then the league adjusted back. It, it does seem like he's starting to walk a lot more now of late. But since July 1st, he's only batting like 196 with the 549 OPS. And I'm not that concerned because we've seen this with Westberg before last year. Whenever he would move up a level, he would struggle, and then he would adapt and adjust and start hitting the ball the way you know that he can. And we also saw him come back from a slump earlier this season and and earn his way back up from Billy, but just goes to show why the Orioles like for players to hit that 250 plate appearance mark, because you can kind of see the ebbs and flows and if adjustments can be made or not. And I think Westberg fits that perfectly.
1: Uh, I Yeah, we've seen this before. I think we've seen this multiple times with the Westberg, even though he's only been up playing not that very long, but uh, yeah, I think you just, you're going to, he's going to find that rhythm eventually. And when you watch him, he's clearly frustrated. I mean, slamming helmets down, throwing bats, he knows that he's not playing well right now. And if I've said it numerous times before, if there's one guy that I'm not going to bet against to, to figure it out and break out of those slumps, it's Jordan Westberg. I mean, anyone on this top 50 list, if I have to pick one guy who I have all the confidence in the world in, it would be Westberg um, even over Gunner, to be completely honest, just because I, so much of what we hear about him is how smart he is. The Mr. Fundamental nickname that he apparently gave himself, which, which is fine. Uh, but like, I just see him give him some time, give him another week or two. And I, I would bet big money that he starts selling in and you start to see those stats kind of even out a little bit. Cause yeah, when he first came up to AAA, it was unbelievable. And you know, he's going to come down to earth. Unfortunately he came down to earth a, a little too hard.
0: Yeah. I agree with you, Nick. I don't worry about him that much when he gets into these slumps, I've seen him climb out of it before. And he always seems to emerge on the other end a little bit better than he was before. And I think, so I don't worry about him too much. The big accomplishment for me with Westberg is how much his power has come around in the last yeah. two years. Cause that was a big question mark coming out of Mississippi state for him was, is that raw power going to translate? You know, cause he's a guy that you look at his size, he should hit for more power than he did in college. You see it in BP, but you don't see it in the games and the Orioles have found a way for him to tap into that. And I point out too, that he, really came along last year at Aberdeen, which is not a home run hitter's park. And then this year, you know, goes to Norfolk, which again, not a great home run hitter's park. And he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball with authority. So he's kind of answered what I think was the biggest question mark with him coming out of college. Um, The only thing is, you know, you do see the strikeout total, I think is not ideal in some respects, but that's just today's game. You know, you're going to have to live the strikeouts with most players. I don't think that Westbrook is striking out at a rate that you look at and you think, oh, that's going to you know, be his downfall against Major League Pitching.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, he really does hit the ball incredibly hard, and he always has. And that was, you know, the the reports coming out of the draft was that, you know, this is a guy with high exit velocities, but... It's mostly on-line drives for doubles power. Well, they've got him to elevate the ball a little bit, pull the ball a little bit more, as John Mioli talked about in a piece earlier this year. And he can hit the ball out at all fields, right-center field, right-field, left-field, center field. doesn't matter. He hits the ball hard. If it's in the air, it's kind of like Ramon Urias, who has started to hit the ball in the air more this year for the Orioles. It's
1: If you hit it hard and high, it's usually going to go out of the park. Yeah. He's already matched or exceeded his doubles total and home runs total from last year in 50 fewer at-bats this season, and he gets more advanced competition. So that's credit to that power. And the one thing that I'm shocked about, though, with Westberg is that in Baseball America's new top 100, that he's still up there. Was he 98? He's still a top 100 guy. I thought for sure he'd be like the first guy off their list or second guy off their list with all these new draft prospects. But kudos, national media taking notice of Jordan Westberg. I guess you guys bullied Baseball American MB pipeline enough, and they're uh, they're listening to Orioles fans on Twitter.
0: Yeah, Before we and- move into the next part of the list. I do want to talk about Stowers, Kerr, and Beavers because it seems like even though Beavers is barely in the organization, he's already being compared in a positive way to Stowers, who you know they were very similar players in college. Loud power from the left side, good defensive outfielders who can draw walks but strike out. Beavers seems to have higher marks across the board than Stowers did uh, coming out of college, even though the question marks are similar. Do you guys see the parallels there with Beavers and Stowers?
1: Yeah. I, it seems like I, I want to know, I think I said this before, I want to know how the organization views these two guys in terms of like their ceiling. Because I, I almost get the sense that Beavers was a really popular pick among a lot in the industry. So I get the sense that imagine Stowers – uh, but Beavers is, is Stowers, but a higher ceiling. I think there might be might be a little bit more risk, but a higher ceiling there with Beavers. I'm not entirely sure there. I, I know that this is a guy who I'm excited to get our eyes on for the first time when he finally starts playing games.
2: Yeah, I would completely agree with that assessment. I feel like, there's, you know, look at Stowers coming out of the draft when the Orioles took him versus when Beavers is coming out. Beavers is a more polished prospect right now than than Stowers was at the time. And they might be thinking, hey, look, we did this with this guy. Just imagine if we get uh, another one, another Stowers type that has a little bit of Colton Cowser mixed in with swing decisions and and plate discipline and maybe a little bit less strikeouts, maybe more power. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's kind of cool that they followed the same mold in a in a way and they know they can develop this type of player and, and we'll see if they can do it again. The one thing I did want to say about Kobe Mayo before we just skipped over him was that, you know, he's going to have what a month, five, six weeks, maybe of ball left in double a, the way these guys came up and started hitting double a, if he has a hot five week stretch here, you know, he could be a guy that gets himself back in the top five coming into next year.
0: Absolutely. And I think top 100 consideration when you look around the whole industry, because, This is a guy that like Gunnar Henderson has consistently faced older competition throughout the season. I've maintained for a while that I think his defense is underrated. He has an excellent throwing arm. So this is, this is a player that with a strong five, six weeks is probably going to be showing up on top 100 lists going into next season. And, you know, we should talk about, you know, Heston Kerstad for a minute because just him coming back this season has been unbelievable. Um, But he's, hitting really well. I think we're realizing that his defense is maybe an underrated part of his game. He covers a good amount of ground out there in right field. So aside from the fact that we're just all happy to see Kirstad healthy after the bout of myocarditis last year, and then the hamstring injury in spring training this year, he's looking like he's going to become a pretty productive player pretty quickly.
2: Yeah. He demolished low A and that was no surprise, but to, just, just knock off that rust immediately and just start playing. The way he did it was incredible. Nice to see him get up to Aberdeen and High A, and he has you know the numbers aren't great. I wouldn't say he's struggling because Chris Resitar, who went to the double header uh, at the end of this past week, said that he has the most professional at bats on the team. He thought so. Still, obviously, you know it's Aberdeen. It's short sample size, but if he's if he's going to come out like this. After another full offseason and getting ready for spring training, I feel like next year he could really take off.
1: Yeah, that was going to be the point I made. You watch him in Delmarva, that's, that's easy because you, you look at Delmarva's roster and it's a lot of 17- 18-year-old kids. But even now at Aberdeen, that short sample size, uh, and even with Aberdeen's camera view, got to get the shot in there every time we can. <laughs> um, yeah, you can tell he's, he's, despite missing, what, over two years of time and what he missed time for, he's not pressing. He's not pressing at all. He's very patient. He waits for his pitch. I think it's all going to eventually come for him. I still view him. I didn't want to. We have a better idea of who he is now, but, yeah, I wasn't going to knock him or rise him very high. I'm not going to shoot him up the rankings. Like, he's back. Look what he did in Marva. I kind of kept him exactly where he's been for me all year, uh, maybe even dropped a spot or two because these new guys coming in. But um, I, I still think he profiles as an everyday power-hitting corner outfielder in the major leagues if all continues to go right for Kerstad. And yeah, this, it's going to be another example of please do not just pull up their Aberdeen numbers and be like, man, this guy is struggling. or This guy stinks because there's so, so much more to those guys stories down there in Aberdeen. And just, just look at the guys who've been promoted to Bowie. That's a perfect example right there.
0: And I think that's a good transition point to move into 11 through 20 on our list was include some players that either have been at Bowie all year and have played really well, or have made the transition from Aberdeen to Bowie successfully. Number 11, welcome to the Orioles organization and to the top 50, Seth Johnson. He was acquired as part of the three-team trade that sent Trey Mancini to the Astros. Johnson, a former Rays prospect. Unfortunately, down for Tom, after undergoing Tommy John surgery, we probably won't see him pitch in an Orioles uniform until 2024, but a guy very highly regarded around the industry. Number 12, Connor Norby. The... Hard-hitting second baseman who has taken it to another level of Bowie with his power production. Number 13, Taryn Bavra, the on-base machine, who is quickly winning a lot of fans in the major leagues. Number 14, Cesar Prieto, who has had an excellent debut season as an infielder between Aberdeen and Bowie. Number 15, Drew Rahm, one of the steadiest, most consistent prospects in the Orioles system, having another strong year out of Bowie's rotation and, again, doing it against competition that is mostly older than him. Number 16, Hudson Haskin, the very steady center fielder having a career year offensively after his 2021 season was cut short due to injury. Number 17, welcome to the Orioles organization, Cade Povitz. Um, after another start or two, we might have people asking us why we didn't put Cade Povitz higher if he pitches like he did in his debut with the Ironbirds over the weekend. Number 18, Braylon Tavera, the Orioles prize uh Pickup in the most recent international free agent class, having a very solid debut as a teenager down in the Dominican Summer League this year. Number 19, another international prospect who is tearing the cover off the ball in the Florida Complex League, catcher Samuel Basayo. And at number 20, John Rhodes, an outfielder who recently made the jump from Aberdeen to Bowie and has shown a good package this year of power at the plate and a solid right field. So this is um, a lot of good players on this list, and a lot of players that I think in most organizations would be top 10 prospects And because the Orioles system is really deep. Don't believe us. You can check ESPN.com for the latest rankings there where the Orioles are number one post-draft. Baseball America is very high on this system. Um, but I'll start with Connor Norby. Remember before the season we were talking about, you know, is Norby going to hit for power? He hit for power at ECU. Uh, last year, but it was the first time he's done that. Is that going to carry over to pro ball? I think he's hitting for power, but I, I don't know what you guys think.
2: No, he's only hitting, you know, 450 foot blasts every other game. It seems like, uh, remember what we said about Jordan Westberg? He hits the ball hard, get him to hit in the air, pull it ball. <laughs> I think same recipe for Connor Norby and he's doing it. I mean, man, there's exit velocities well over a hundred miles per hour bombs. There, there's no cheapies when it comes to Connor Norby, you know, when he hits one and, you know, I'd like to get a better read on what his defense is like in second base, but as long as he continues to hit the way he has with double Billy, it's not really going to be that much of an
1: issue. Yeah. Of this 11 to 20 group, Norby is, I mean, I was the self-proclaimed president of the Connor Norby fan club just a couple months ago. Uh, He is my favorite prospect in this group, just because I don't think anyone in this group, their stock is rising as much. You could probably make an argument for Sammy Basayo and maybe, maybe John Rhodes, Kate Povich, like you mentioned as well, but they all have good arguments, but I mean, 440-foot home run the other day. Just Sunday, a 431-foot to dead center. Connor Norby's hitting. I think Fangraphs has his like, game power like a 30 or 35 right now. Like He's he's blowing those projections out of the water and those grades out of the water. I think that – I don't know if I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I talked about my trip to Richmond when I watched Bowie, but other than just how easy Joey Ortiz and Colton Cowser make playing baseball look – Connor Norby's bat speed is, that's a thing of beauty. Uh, And it took him 70 fewer at-bats this season in Bowie to match his Aberdeen home run and doubles total. He's got a 936 OPS in Bowie right now. And and the one thing that I don't know how much defensive versatility he has, you made the comment about wanting to see more of his defense, get a better gauge on that. I don't know how much defensive versatility he has compared to like Prieto and Vavra on this list, which makes me think maybe he's kind of, I don't want to say stuck at second base, but you know he's he's not a future maybe pl- not pl- utility option like Preto and Vavra I view as future major league utility options. Norby I'm not too sure about that, but I do think Norby has all the tools and more than enough bat to be an everyday regular
0: second baseman in the major leagues. Yeah, the Orioles have tried to introduce a little bit of versatility this year with Norby. He has played third base or excuse me left field but we're only looking at seven games total between Bowie and Aberdeen. So good or bad, there's not enough of a sample size there for us to make a judgment. And that was one concern that you saw repeatedly with Norby coming out in the draft last year was he doesn't have the arm for the left side of the infield. So he's going to have to probably stick at second base, which means he's going to have to hit. And so far he's holding up that end of the bargain. Whether we see the Orioles, try to move him around a little bit more in the next year or two. Maybe they get him to the point where you know the arm strength is at least passable enough to play left field or third base from time to time. Remains to be seen, but right now I'm looking at a guy who is going to hit at a position where you don't necessarily get a ton of value offensively, and he does not hit cheap home runs. And he can hit a home run out to left field, he can hit a home run out to left center, dead center field. So that... Left field wall at Candom Yards, not too worried about that with Tanner Norby.
2: No, definitely not, especially after seeing him in person in, in Aberdeen and now in Bowie, just on the broadcast. It's, it's something else.
0: So Taron Vabra up in the major leagues right now. Um, three of us have been high on Vabra since he joined the Orioles system uh, two years ago as part of the Michael Gibbons trade with the Rockies. Um, and we you know, were kind of calling for him to get that promotion – provided that he could stay healthy at Norfolk for an extended time, which he did after coming off the IL a few months ago. But did either one of you think that his first week or so in the big leagues was basically going to look like a clinic for how to get on base every single at-bat and did not just get on base, but either take a first-pitch fastball and line it back up the middle for a base hit or work at 12-pitch at-bat into a walk? He does both of those things really well.
2: Yeah, just... (laughs) <laughs> I can just imagine the Terran Vavra documentary on ESPN in 20 years where Brandon Hyde refused to play me the first week when I was in there and I took that personally <laughs> and so I decided to just absolutely destroy the ball the next few games yeah he's looked amazing would love to see him get more playing time obviously they're kind of protecting him against lefties but I just think we've heard this before same with when you know, Elias was with the Astros. Their whole organizational philosophy was you can learn just as much on the bench and practicing than you can in the games. And maybe they were working with him when he's not in there and still are. And, and it's it's showing up when he does end up getting in the game. I'd like to see him in the game more often, but when he's in there, he's been successful.
1: He's doing exactly what he did in A all season. He's doing it in the major leagues now. He, he will be the most patient, pesky hitter that's in that lineup and foul off six, seven, eight balls to stay alive. He's done that so many times. I can't tell you how many 14, 15 pitch at bats he's had in AAA Norfolk this year. But at the same time, he'll come in in the next plate appearance. And because he, he's so smart. When we talked with uh, Ryan Fuller last year at Bowie, he mentioned the notebook that Taryn Vavra has. After every single at bat, he goes back and he writes down every pitch, every sequence, he writes down everything about each at bat right after. Uh, and so he knows his pitcher. And a lot of times you might see him take 15 pitches one at bat, and the next he's swinging that first pitch because he knows exactly what's coming. Uh, and, you know, it's not always going to result in a base hit, but he's going to make good contact on it. And this is, this is exactly what he did in the minor leagues. I'm not shocked at all. And, and I think possibly we might be seeing, though, also exactly what we talked about. He's not going to be a future everyday second baseman for the Orioles. It seems like maybe they do want to platoon him and, and move him around a little bit. And I think that's fine. I think it's fine as well. He doesn't have to be an everyday second baseman to be a big league contributor. And, and he's showing that so far already.
2: Yeah. And if he's just an all out hitter, I mean, he's DH a lot too. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, obviously you can't use him in the field at that point pretty much. But, you know, if you want to use that DH to get a lefty bat in the lineup, he's just as good as option as any. He could be a good leadoff hitter for this team until Kowser's ready.
0: We've highlighted Norby and Vavra, but I'll start with Nick here. Any particular thoughts with this group when you look 11 through 20 on the list?
1: Um, you know, I think 12, 13, 14, we still have you know Norby, Vavra, then Prieto, and I think that is still holding steady. I think we had a question at the beginning of the year, like who has the highest floor, who has the highest ceiling? That was a question that I hated so much because it's a really good question. Well, now that we're almost at the end of the year, I think largely what we've thought about this group has stuck. Norby, I think, still has the much higher ceiling. Vavra has the higher floor, and Pareto is, is kind of the wild card there. Uh, he's got a wider range of uh, potential outcomes, but uh, I, I think overall he's not a successful year. Uh, and then, you know, John Rhodes. I wrote a few weeks ago that I thought a promotion was coming soon and that that's one of those cases where the underlying data, the, the valuable information that the Orioles actually used to make decisions was a lot better than what you're seeing on, on the stat line. And once he got to double A, he was going to break out a little bit, and it's only been five games, so can't do that. But um, he's shooting balls the opposite way. He's got a 3 0 green light on pitches that he's driving. Uh, John Rhodes is playing some highlight, real defensive plays already. John Rhodes is playing really well in his first couple of games up there in double uh, A level.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out about Rhodes. He's always going to be under the radar, I feel <laughs> like. Uh, another guy I feel like who even I've been sleeping on, uh, Hudson Haskin. I just pulled up his numbers. from Since June 22nd, he has a 320 batting average with an OPS over 1,000 and a 177 WRC plus uh, 11% walk rate, which is higher than I think in his entire career and only a 21 and half percent strikeout rate. So, yeah, Hudson Haskin, I feel like steady as ever, just going out there and doing his thing. He started off so hot, then had kind of a long cold stretch, but that's, uh, let's see, how many plate appearances is that? That is 117 plate appearances of a OPS over 1,000. Nothing nothing to sneeze out there, despite Kowser showing him up a little bit. And I'd also like to highlight the two new pitchers that we got in the trades at the trade deadline. Uh, Cade Povich at 17 and Seth Johnson at 11. I mean, Cade Povich immediately shows you what he can potentially do six shutout innings. What was it? One hit, no walks, eight strikeouts uh, from the left side. Mike Elias continually talking him up as a potential top of the rotation arm. Uh, So clearly they're very high on him. I'm sure if that turns out to be the case and he goes up to Bowie and performs the way that he can, he could easily be in our top 15 close to top 10 range, maybe by spring training and Seth Johnson, obviously out for the year because of Tommy John or a year and a half, but, a lot of upside there starts right in at number 11 he'll be in our top 10 considering a graduation or two at the end of the year here
0: so with povitz that actually brings up the next point that kind of is a good transition to the next point i was going to bring up which is when you look at he him and drew rom there are some similarities but there are some differences i think that most evaluations would suggest that povitz has the better raw stuff fastball and gets up a little bit higher The curveball and the slider might be a little bit better than what you see from Rom. Yet Rom has just delivered one good season after the other, and we have seen his stuff improve over time. So I want to ask you guys how did you kind of weigh the two of them when they are so close together in this system right now?
1: For me, they are right there with each other. For me, it was that Rom is having yet another really successful year in double A, and he's what two and a half years younger than the average competition in double a uh as he's moved up the ladder the strikeouts go up the walks continue to go down or at least they're kind of stabilizing here at double a uh i I love when he decides to just out of the blue drop it sidearm and to surprise guys i love that wrinkle in his game that he's doing a lot more uh but with povich i do see a higher ceiling i think rom is there's something i don't know what it is i'm not a pitching coach i'm not a scout very open about that, but I just feel like there's something with Drew Rom that he's on this like the top of this hump. He's on this, you know, pendulum here where he could go either way. But if there's one thing he can unlock in that game, it's going to push him right over the edge into Triple A, and he's going to be a guy who we're talking about at the end of the year. You've got to put him on the forty-man roster. You got to protect him from the Rule Five draft, and we're looking at a 2023 big league debut for Drew Rom. Uh, But with Povich, I mean, it's an exciting young arm to dream on. You see, I think he could probably fill out that frame a little bit. looks like a tall, lankier guy. So maybe there's more velo in that tank. Uh, The pitchers are still – it's four pitchers. They are still raw. But that slider, I mean, you see that thing move. I don't even know how – you see it on on Aberdeen's uh, bird's-eye view cam they got over there. This thing starts over the middle of the plate. By the time it reaches the plate, Mm -hmm. it's in the the right-handed batter's box. I mean – so yeah, there's a lot of projection there with Povich and I see a really high ceiling and it's, it's going to be fun to see what this player development staff can do now that they have their hands on him.
2: Yeah. I personally have Povich at 16 on my list and drew Ram at 18. So I would put the ceiling of Povich a little bit higher than Ram, but Ram is no joke. I agree with what you said. It's, it's underrated. He's still very young, like he's still learning. And, and, He'll be in AAA either by the end of this season or the beginning of next season. And from there, he's very close to a major league debut. And whether it's in the rotation or out of the bullpen, I think he's going to be a valuable arm for the Orioles for quite a while. So it's no knock on Rom that I put Povich ahead of him. But especially after seeing him, I'm actually watching him pitch for once. Uh, yeah, this stuff is legit. Watching clips, he's he's got nasty stuff. The Orioles will teach him a changeup and he'll be even better.
0: It was really close for me. I put Rom at 16 and Povitz at 17 for kind of the reasons that Nick mentioned. Rom has just delivered result after result. And look, it's not an accident. It's not like he's just a guy that's compiling good numbers. He has a really good feel for his pitches. He has a fastball that is just a good fastball. He can put it anywhere. He has a really, he does an excellent job changing speeds with it. And he can get it up there a little bit into the mid 90s. He just doesn't do it as consistently as Povitz perhaps does. But Ron can get the fastball up there a little bit, and that is something we've seen more of in the last two years. If he's not in Norfolk's rotation by the end of this season, which I kind of think he should be, then he'll definitely be there to start next year as a 23-year-old. He didn't turn 23 until December. That's the thing that just impresses me about him, is that he consistently goes up against older hitters and overmatches them. Povitz, though, you know, in a few months especially if he does get that promotion to Bowie before the season is over, which I think he should, he could move his way up this list considerably. And I'll go to Samuel Basayo now at number 19 for us. Basayo so far in 291 professional plate appearances between this season and last season has 11 homers. He has an 837 OPS with six homers in the FCL this year, and he's only 17 years old. Now, you know, we knew, we know he's a good hitter, but one thing we talk about consistently with FCL guys is, you know, don't worry about the home run numbers. Don't look at that as an indication of power because they just don't always come right away, especially with players that are this young yet. Basio is hitting home runs in the FCL and he's doing it against competition that is older. If that's, you know, easy to believe in the FCL, he actually is because he's only 17 and I, you know, I have questions about where he ends up on the diamond eventually, but there's no denying that he is an advanced hitter for his age.
1: I mean, he should be a junior in high school right now, and he already has 11 pro home runs. That's just absurd. And I think he's he's about reached the same number of plate appearances in the FCL as he did in the Dominican Summer League last year. And the batting average is up like almost 50 points. The OPS is up like 60 or 70 points. He's already surpassed the home run total. It, he's going to be a lot of fun. I think the arrow is trending up with Basayo. It, it is going to be interesting to see if he sticks behind the plate or has to move over to first base. But, yeah, that's it, he's delivering right now as, as a 17-year-old kid. It's Those numbers are fun.
2: Yeah. I I feel like he's getting closer and closer to that Jordan Alvarez dream comp that we've put on him, or I have at least a couple of times. Um, man, he had two more hits today, I think. Um it's just a big kid. I don't know how big he's going to get. I cannot see him staying a catcher, but he's got a great arm. So maybe you can get him into a corner outfield spot, if not first base to try to get the glove to play at least some defensive value. But if there's going to be a legit first base prospect, I put there's no such thing as a first base prospect in uh, our WhatsApp chat today, but Basayo could be one if that's where he's going to end up. Cause the bat is
0: serious. Move on now to the next section on our list, and that's 21 through 30. Number 21, Gene Pinto, a young right-hander. Pretty together a solid season in Aberdeen's rotation. Number 22, Joey Ortiz, who is about the hottest hitter in the Orioles' farm system right now, and he has done that while playing, continuing to play an excellent shortstop and working his way back from a shoulder injury that cost him most of last season. Number 23, the young shortstop, Michael Hernandez, who is currently in the FCL. Number 24, Michael Ballman, who I will mention is barely eligible for this list. We actually did the numbers today because we weren't sure that he was prospect eligible still. And Ballman is a day away of service time from graduating. So this is likely the last time he will be featured on this list. And he comes in at number 24. Number 25, welcome to the Orioles organization 2022 draftee, Judd Fabian, a center fielder out of Florida. With good power and excellent defense, but questions about the hit tool and his strikeout tendencies. Number 26, Daryl Hernase, who came into the season unranked in our top 50 list, I believe, and has shot all the way up to 26, thanks to ex- an excellent 2022 between Delmarva and Aberdeen. Number 27, Carter Ballmer, a young right-hander who, in a short stint with Delmarva before hitting the IL a few weeks ago, looks really impressive. We hope he's back on the mound soon. Number 28, Reed Trimble, who recently recovered from injury, a good but raw athlete in the outfield for Delmarva right now. Number 29, Chase McDermott, the other pitcher acquired in the Trey Mancini deal. He was a right-hander that came over from the Houston Astros. He recently made his Orioles organization debut that was unfortunately cut short by a rain delay. And number 30, welcome to the Orioles organization, Max Wagner, a 2022 draftee out of Clemson, who was a late bloomer that rose up draft boards leading up over the course of the spring comes into the organization with good raw power and a good arm at third base. So a guy that we're excited to see out in the field here soon. So this is a really varied group. You have some young pitchers, some young position players, guys that are close to graduating to the major league. So I'll just throw it out to Bob. Looking at this group, what stands out?
2: Joey Joey Ortiz. Joey Ortiz, Joey Ortiz. Um, since July first, he is batting 407 with an eleven fifty nine OPS, which is a 210 WRC plus, nine and a half percent walk rate, only twelve and twelve point seven percent strikeout rate, ten doubles, a triple, seven home runs. Yeah, playing amazing defense in the field. This is what we've been waiting for. This, this is better than I ever thought Ortiz could do, even with the breakout of last year. So. They said they made a small adjustment on the swing change. And my goodness, let's let's get him up to AAA Norfolk. Let's get Gunner in the majors just so we can get Ortiz in AAA. Maybe this is the shortstop of the future. I don't know. But I'm very excited about Joey Ortiz again, which feels good to say since I was a huge fan of his coming into the year and then he started off so slow. But also Daryl Hernize at 26, so a kid his age performing this well way he is this year would be like a top five top 10 prospect even like two or three years ago in the Orioles system that's how deep this thing is that he's only 26 this he has a ton of potential whether it's a trade chip or just a guy who's going to be the next wave in a a couple years I don't know but potential is still really high for him as he just turned 21 or he might not even have turned 21 yet so yeah those are the two that stand out for me in this group
1: yeah it's, it's Ortiz uh, I mean, the, the story that John Muley did on him the other day in his newsletter is uh, just one of the prime examples why I love baseball so much. And it's just a realization of how good your top hitting coaches and even pitching coaches are like the, a one small, tiny little hand adjustment is a big credit to the all of the production we've seen from Joey Ortiz in the second half of the season. It's a, a phenomenal story. Um, I just like how we saw hot hitting, no power, Joey Ortiz in Aberdeen to uh, power hitting Joey Ortiz and Bowie, then the injury, then the begin of the year, it's neither of those Joey Ortiz has showed up. And then now you got both Joey Ortiz's are here. Uh and yeah, the, the defense has has been majorly great since last year. Uh Gene Pinto at 21, uh, I feel like we don't talk about him too much this year after he was uh, our darling last year, but I am surprised to see like his control has faded as much as it has, but he's still averaging more than 10 strikeouts per per nine innings. I think the expected numbers look a little bit better than some of his other numbers right now. And he's still very young for the high level as well. I think about two years younger or so than the rest of the competition. So I think we're probably still going to be the high outlet on Gene Pinto. And I have no issues with us keeping our flag stake there on, on Pinto. Um, Hernandez, yeah, that, that's a really good one. The thing that sticks out with me about Hernandez was, and we talked about him a lot recently, but when he was in Del Marva, repeating that level and how I feel like you could have just packed it in and be like, I don't want to be in this organization anymore. This is not for me. I, I get passed over again after having a good year last year. But he became, you You guys had the interview there with Sam Jelinek of Marva, and he said Hernandez was the leader in that clubhouse as, as a 20-year-old kid still. Uh, that spoke volumes for me. Uh, and yeah, some exciting rookies on this list, but uh, for me, Reed Trimble starting to stick out a little bit for me. After really being able to being able to watch him for the first time this season, uh, it's a big kid, and, and I think there's some good power in there. And if he can move as well as he does in center field, I think Reed Trimble is going to be a legitimate prospect in the system. He's just got to stay healthy, and I don't think we're going to see him truly break out this year because he's been on the shelf for what six, seven, eight months. But uh, Reed Trimble is a name that I think of this group could rise uh, pretty high himself by by this time next
2: year. Yeah, we'd love to. Oh, sorry, Zach. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> would love to just see him stay healthy and, and get a, a you know the six weeks or so of the remaining on the season under his belt, no matter the results, just to head into the offseason and prepare for next year.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's important to consider that there was – It wasn't that long ago we didn't think we are going to see Trimble at all this year. He had the shoulder injury over the offseason and six to nine months recovery. I believe he had the surgery sometime around December. So that could have put him out for all of 2022. And yet he's back and he's going to have the chance he didn't have last year to have extended playing time every day in Delmarva. I don't really care if Trimble moves up before the year is over or not. I just want to see him get at bats and get reps in the field because the guy is a good athlete. He's got a little bit of everything across the board. He's a guy that, like Colton Calder, I think got dinged a little bit because he was coming out of a small school. But at the same time, yeah, he's just really raw, and he's only 22. He just turned 22 back in June, so he's still a younger guy. Um, good athlete overall. I'm happy that he's healthy first and foremost, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with extended playing time. I did want to turn our attention to Michael Hernandez for a minute, who drops down to 23. We had him, I believe, in the teens on our preseason top 50. And he's kind of consistently been ahead of Basayo for us. And now he drops several spots behind him. And I don't want to compare those two. Because I think it's unfair. But Hernandez has really struggled to plate this year. And coming into this season, I'll admit that I didn't care that much about the raw stat line with Hernandez because he's only 18 He's in the FCL. What I wanted to see was the strikeout to walk numbers, which were pretty good in the Dominican Summer League last year, stay the same. If they stayed the same and he only hit 240, I was fine with that because that would show to me that he has you know, an advanced approach for his age and eventually everything's going to click. The walk numbers have been the same as they were last year. In fact, he has the exact same walk rate that he did in Dominican Summer League last year, yet he's striking out significantly more not hitting for more power, not hitting for a higher average. So what was it for you guys that maybe raised some red flags with Hernandez?
2: For me, it was the strikeouts a little bit. I mean, I dropped him down to 31 on my personal list. And, and honestly, I not to give – I mean, I have, I'm a little bit softer on these international guys, at least until they reach full season ball and can prove – to perform. I feel like almost the stats are meaningless other than walk and strikeout percentage to that point. I have Braylon Tavera 30, Michael Hernandez 31, Visayo 19 on my personal list, but Hernandez, I'm not giving up on him by any stretch of the imagination. He's still incredibly young, obviously has incredible tools and potential that they saw in him to give him the money that they did. But yeah, until, you know, he's in probably Delmarva next year, or maybe he repeats FCL. I'm not sure, but once he gets into a full season ball, then I feel like we can really and watch him play. That's really the the missing ingredient is we don't have video. We don't, we, you know, other than Eric Garfield, yes, great video, but we don't have that, you know, in-game action video that really we can compare and contrast from other players in the system.
1: Yeah, for me, I think it was Fangraphs that noted, you know, yeah, the numbers were not good last year in the DSL, but a lot of his batted ball data did improve noticeably well. Uh, as the season progressed. And so I I was optimistic about what we were going to get out of him this year. And you've heard the physical comps again, you know, not the the overall play comps, but the physical comps of, you know, the A-rod and Manny. This tall kid, good defender at a premium position. Uh, but we just haven't seen anything move on that stat line really, except the strikeout rate. I still don't think he has a professional home run. Uh, and so that's, you know, you don't want to base all of this obviously on, you know, FCL and DSL stats, but the only real report we've gotten from you know, the organization is we've made some changes with him and he's working through that. That was Kobe Perez, I think with Baltimore baseball.com the, the other week. And so let, let's see, he had a stretch there about a week or two recently where he was putting up production. He was putting up some numbers down there in the FCL. And then I think he's co- started to cool off a little bit again, but you want to see something from Hernandez, you know, if we also had Kobe Perez on the show and he said, look, Venezuela, I asked him about Venezuelan kids. What is it about Venezuelan prospects that this organization has become really fascinated with because such a big chunk of their, especially their most recent drive class comes from Venezuela. And he said, he goes down there what, like every other week or something like once a month, he's down there watching kids. And he said, a lot of times, you know, these kids, it just takes some longer for these guys to develop. And so that's why I'm still holding out a little bit of hope there with, uh, Hernandez but he's definitely among this top 30 group he is the one that I might have some of the the bigger questions about to be honest yeah
2: and extreme short sample size alert but over his last six games since July 26th covering 24 plate appearances he is batting 300 with an 817 OPS in a 135 WC plus so maybe those changes are starting to take place I don't know it's just very short sample size
0: yeah, I would love to see the batted ball data with him. That's a good point. Nick Fangraphs did note that preseason. And, you know, that, you know, that does matter a little bit more than the raw stat line, where at least adds a significant amount of context that we don't see. And even when we see it, we can't, you know, necessarily quantify it and say, oh, he's hitting the ball this much harder this month than he did last month. That's extremely hard to quantify without the pure data. But, you know, the, He's only 18, and there's an undeniable skill set here. It's just a matter of if and when it's going to click. And honestly, I when I look at the players in our top 30, I would argue that Hernandez has the widest range of outcomes. It's very possible that in two years he's the number one player on this list or that he's not on the list at all. I could really see it going either way.
2: Completely agree.
0: Do do want to talk about the two players that the Orioles drafted that are in this section. That's outfielder Judd Fabian and third baseman Max Wagner. They're a little bit different in the sense that Fabian was a guy that going into 2021 was actually seen as a possible top five or top 10 selection coming out of the draft. Yet he had a bad year at Florida that caused him to slip down to the second round. The Red Sox took him a pick ahead of the Orioles, failed to sign him, there were reports then that the Orioles were intending to draft Fabian had he fallen to them this year. He has a better year at Florida slips all the way. To the Orioles last pick on night one. And they get him. Uh, Wagner. Meanwhile, is a guy that we really did not know much about. He comes from a cold weather state in Wisconsin. Didn't have a ton of experience coming into this year yet broke out in a big way and fits that late bloomer mold that the Orioles really seem to like in their draft prospects, guys who, go in and in the months leading up to the draft, improve their stock in some area. And in Wagner's case, it was the power. The power really showed up at Clemson this year. So I'll start with Bob. What are your thoughts on these two players who are much different from each other, but entering the organization in close ranking uh, proximity wise in our eyes?
2: I don't know. I don't think the hundred percent strikeout rate is going to work with Judd Fabian. He's over two with two strikeouts. He's a bust. No, I can't wait to see these guys get in the system and perform and just see what they're all about. You know, college is one thing, but you know, we've seen the transition to the professional game can go one way or the other. And I just want to get my eyes on them. That's really all I'm waiting for. I think the potential is really high for both of them. I think they could be top 15 prospects this time next year, but it's just going to take a, uh, time to find out if that's the case
1: yeah Fabian it's all about that hit tool like are you going to be able to hit for higher than a 210 215 average now that you're in pro ball but he made a lot of good positive adjustments that last season back at Florida and with Wagner yeah I I am really anxious to watch him play because there did seem to be a lot of helium with him as we got closer to the draft 27 home runs an OPS over 1300 at Clemson started the year on the bench reigning ACC player of the year. I mean, there's a lot to like about this kid and I just get not comparing their play styles at all, but I'm just getting serious. Like John Rhodes vibes with Max Wagner. Like this is a guy who's maybe getting slept on a little bit. You're like, what makes him tick? What makes him such an exciting prospect? Some people may see it. Some people maybe not. And and then he's going to come out and actually get in the system. And when the hitting coaches get their hands on him, we're going to see a pretty exciting player who starts rising up the draft boards. Hopefully that's the hope with Max Wagner, but yeah, I think he's the, of all the draft prospects, early round draft prospects, he probably is the guy that I am most anxious to watch. Beavers, yeah, I mean, you want to see the power, how that plays and all that. But, like, I want to see Max Wagner. Uh, what what was it that uh, drew the Orioles' attention to him? I, I want to see it with my own eyes, finally.
0: Yeah, I think if when you look at the stat line of Wagner, he actually played this season as a 20-year-old. He didn't turn 21. Actually, does not turn 21 until August 19th. So he was barely draft eligible this year, 27 homers and 259 plate appearances with an OPS of over 1300 and good walk to strikeout numbers, 45 walks compared to 51 strikeouts in that span. So, but he was a guy we didn't know a whole lot about because he had very little experience at Clemson. Like I mentioned, he came out of green Bay. So not exactly a baseball hotbed. He had time in the Northwoods league back in 2020 and in 2021 hit well there in 2021. But then again, just not a lot of time that you could look at for him and figure out who he is one way or another. Move on now to the 31 through 40 sex on the list, and you're going to hear a lot of pitchers' names, and I'll start with Chris Vallemont, a waiver claim from the Twins organization that has risen up the draft board or risen up the prospect rankings and in the farm system thanks to reduced walk rate. He showed improved command at AA Bowie, and that has carried over to AAA Norfolk. Number 32, Zach Peake, who unfortunately just recently underwent Tommy Zahn surgery, but was dominating at double A buoy before that and still stands a good chance, I think, this offseason of possibly being protected from the Rule 5 draft with a 40 man roster spot. Number 33, Leandro Arias, a young shortstop currently down in the Dominican Summer League that fangrass, among other outlets, are a very high on. Number 34, Carlos Severo, one of the big breakout stories of 2022 showing some of the best raw stuff in the system, cutting back his walks with high A Aberdeen. Number 35, Kyle Bronovitz. Unfortunately, another player that underwent Tommy John surgery but when he's on the mound, shows pinpoint command. It was an excellent knuckle curveball. And had he not gotten hurt back in April, probably would have pitched his way into major league rotation uh, consideration by now. Number 36, Misael De the young outfielder at Delmarva. With above-average tools across the board, got off to a really slow start, but has hit much better since coming off the I.L. last month. Number 37, welcome to the top 50. One of the biggest breakout stories of the 2022 season, Frederick Ben Cosme, the young infielder with the Delmarva Shorebirds, who can hit a line drive anywhere on the field, and he is hashtag legendary. Number 38, Brandon Young, another talented but injured pitcher who was with double A Bowie and had gotten off to a good start this season before hitting the IL number 39. Welcome to the top 50 Davey Cruz who joined Delmarva earlier this summer and has been one of the best pitchers in the shorebirds rotation since, and has done it as a teenager and number 40, welcome to the top 50 Noah, DeNoyer, one of the biggest breakout stories of the 2022 season. And perhaps one of the leading, if not the leading candidate for pitcher of the year in the Orioles farm system right now. And a guy that, I know Nick identified as a breakout candidate back before the season starts. So I'm going to turn it over to him to talk about Noah the
1: I mean, I just, I just know talent when I see it. Uh, <laughs> apparently he's on the IL right now, which there was no announcement of that, but he has been on the IL apparently since the mid season break. Uh, I don't even think like his roster page was updated appropriately because <laughs> I don't know. It looks weird, but he hasn't pitched. Uh, so, um, you did mention that he does have a case to be the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year. And as long as he can come back and finish this year, I think he has a very real case uh, to be the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year. Fastball, he gets up to 96 miles an hour. His whip is under 1.0 for the year, a whip of under one 72 strikeouts, 15 walks. That's it. And I don't know, What the Orioles plan to do with his development? Like, are they, do they view him as a starting pitcher? Do they view him as a long reliever? Because it seems like he can go four or five innings, but he always comes out of the bullpen. He's always seems to be like the second guy in the piggyback option. But I'm interested to see how the Orioles view his uh, future. But he throws a lot of strikes, he gets a lot of swing and miss in the strike zone. And I said this before that I just think there's even more there to unlock with Denoyer. It's a fantastic story. 40 rounds, everybody passed on him. Orioles picked him up, and look what he's turned into. It's a great story.
0: Yeah, before Bob jumps in, I want to give a quick update on Denoyer from uh, Steve Molesky over at Masson. Uh, Three days ago, Molesky wrote, quote, the Orioles were hoping that Bowie right-hander Noah Denoyer can return to pits before August is out. He had some elbow discomfort and was briefly shut down. Yeah. So that's the update on Denoyer.
1: I missed that. That sucks.
2: Yeah, I missed that too. But at least they seem optimistic that he'll be back soon. So, yeah, I don't know. My first thought I was going to say maybe you know it's a way to limit his innings and just kind of shut him down for a couple of weeks coming out of the break, give him a longer break. But because Sim contribute had video on Twitter of him like shaking a liquid or some kind of drink of some sort with both hands, so I'm like it can't be a serious arm injury. He wouldn't be doing that. But if it's his elbow, maybe I don't know. But Love DeNoyer, what he love what he's shown this year. I think he's really made a case to uh, join this cupboard full of of pitchers.
0: Well, Bob, and you identified a breakout candidate on this list uh, preseason. That's Carlos Tavera, who in a pitching staff of standout hurlers this year has been excellent for Aberdeen.
2: Yeah. And actually I had Davy Cruz on that same article of guys who could be in the top 50 come the midseason update. And, and here we go here. They both are in the, in the thirties. Yeah. Um Tavera, we've talked about him a lot because he broke onto the scene with his nasty breaking pitches and mid nineties fastball. You know, he's missed some time with minor injuries here and there, but this stuff is legit. And I think it will continue. Hopefully. I mean, maybe the missed time causes him not to make his double debut until the beginning of next year, but I think you can make a case for him to get a taste of it in the stretch run, since Bowie, Bowie seems to be making a playoff push here. And just to get to the other guy, Davy Cruz—he's very young; he's only 18 years old. Yeah, he walks too many guys, but stuff's electric coming out of the left side of the mound. And this year's Gene Pinto—I I cheated and picked like four or five people that it could be, and maybe this is—I got one of them right.
1: I I love Davey Cruz and we are not the only ones baseball America had him jump into their top 30 a couple of weeks ago I mean 18 year old kid legitimate strikeout stuff fastball gets up to 95 96 miles an hour from the left side slider works already I think he's got all the makings of a future starter the walks have been getting kind of ridiculous can't lie there lately but he's 18 year old kid and making his full season debut so He's very raw, but I think has a huge, huge ceiling. Same with Ben Cosme. The ceiling on both these kids is, is unmeasurable, I feel like. Uh, and with Tavera, I, I'm i getting more and more reliever wrist vibes with Tavera as well. Kind of like Hall, but they're more extreme with Tavera. You, know, you watch him pitch, he's a violent pitcher. And you often hear that a lot with the national evaluators say, you, know, you see the head whack, that's usually a good indication of a possible future relief role, or how violent they're throwing the ball. Tavera does throw pretty violently, but I feel like even if he ends up as a reliever, if he can throw 96, 97, 98 miles an hour, he's got a really good slider. He's got a good change up. I mean, this is a guy who you know, walks are lowered yeah, in Aberdeen, but they're still pretty high as well. You know, this is a guy who's going to be a really, could be a really effective reliever as well. And either way, whether you're a starter or a reliever, I think that's a success story. If you can get a pitcher, draft him and groom him, and turn him into a major leaguer, whether it's bullpen or rotation, it's a, it's a success. But yeah, Tavera was tagged by many as a potential breakout star before the year. And uh, he's proven everybody right. This is a great season for him.
2: I got to jump in here at the mention of Frederick Ben Cosme because, my goodness, I, I'm probably the highest on him. I have him all the way up at 26. I just feel like he doesn't strike out. He walks at a good clip. He hits everything. He's so much fun to watch. He's smooth on defense. I I love this guy, and he's – I don't know. If he could get up to Aberdeen before this year is over, I doubt at this point that he will, but maybe. Maybe. Um, would love to see it but because I would definitely go to probably every single home game from that point on. He's probably my new favorite or at least one of my favorite players in the system, and it's awesome just to see – an international breakout like this. And it's not just us. I think, was it Fangraphs or Baseball America also shattered him out at some point recently too?
0: Yeah, I believe it was Baseball America. And I go back to last summer when Ben Cosme was hitting really well in the Dominican Summer League. And he was not a guy we knew a whole lot about going into the 2021 season. And But you would see it in the box score. It's like every day this guy seems to go three for four with a, you know a double, a couple of singles. Uh, moving around between second base and shortstop, and it starts to jump out at you, especially when he's only 18, that he's doing that. So I had high expectations for him. Kobe Perez really talked him up when he was on our show earlier this year. But there is no way that before this season started, I would have told you that Ben Cosme would only play two games at the FCL before getting promoted to Del Marva. and in close to 50 games there, he's at 45 right now, would be hitting 349 with an OPS of 8.57 and more walks and strikeouts.
1: No, Nope. <laughs> it's, it's probably my fault that he's so low on our master list. Cause I think I have him. I'm 48th on my personal list. I, I wasn't sure exactly what to do with him because first of all, there are just so many pitchers on the, the 40 to 50 range that I really like. And I wanted on my list and I think they deserve to be there. And because Cosme, you know, whether you've got him in your top 20 or top 50, it, it, he's, he belongs uh, pretty high up in Orioles prospect list. One of the best bat-to-ball skills in the entire organization. I, I've, he rivals Colton Cowser, I think, in the bat-to-ball skills department. I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. The, the only thing is, you know, it's not a lot of power. And it's a lot of singles. It's a lot of bunt base hits as well. If you hate bunting, get used to it. The kid can bunt extremely well. I'm putting together the bunt highlight tape once I get enough on film. Uh, but he's starting to show more power as the seasons progressed. More home runs, more doubles. They're coming. That ISO is rising. And, and I think you look at his frame, he can build on it. And I don't know how much you want to bulk him up because he's such an athletic player as well. But you can add a, a couple more pounds there. You can add some good muscle on him. And, you know, the Orioles have been really good about tapping into that raw power these guys, these guys have. And Ben Cosme has it. Uh, right now, he's finding success in the lower levels of the minor league, just hitting the ball and getting it on base and making noise. And, yeah, it's it's hard not to be really excited about Ben Cosme and what his future could hold.
0: Well, I think yeah. that's a good point about Ben Cosme because you can watch him over the course of a game, and in his first at bat, he'll drop a bunt single down the third base line. And it's like, all right, you know, that's good that he can bunt, but that's not you know his path to the majors. Then his next at bat, he'll hit a line drive down the right field line. Then he'll lace one into the gap in left center. So the back-to-ball skills and the ability to move the ball around the field are there. I think it's just a matter of as he fills out, do some of those singles start turning into doubles? Do those doubles become home runs? And I agree. You don't want to balk him up too much because I would start to have concerns then that maybe he is limited to second base. But I think there is the possibility for him to add good muscle. And I'm going to use that to transition to De who was a guy that we were really high on after his breakout season. Last year at the FCL. And for the first two and a half months at Delmarva, there was honestly not much good you could say about his production. But he came off the IL back on July 22nd. And although it's only a 12 game sample since then, he has hit much better. 839 OPS and 52 plate appearances across that stretch. Both of his home runs that season or this season have come during that time period. And I've thought back to our interview with Sam Zelenik a lot where He mentioned, I believe, that scouts had said to him that Desone is a guy that probably would have benefited from the previous structure of minor league baseball where you had that short season A affiliate between the Complex League and Delmarva. And because we're not even two full seasons into this structure, I hadn't thought about that a whole lot. But the further we've gone into the year, the more I agree with it, that this is a guy who maybe would have benefited from a month had a short season A affiliate before making that jump to Del Marva because now he looks like the player that he was last year. And yeah, you know, I feel like Dayson's a guy that's been talked about a lot because he came over the Michael Gibbons trade two years ago. And Fangraphs actually has him as Wolf Five eligible after this season. Yet he just turned twenty last month. So he is still really young.
1: Yeah, that this is a guy in the group that I, I think I had you know, the, the most thoughts on just because I think he's part of a small group in Del Marva, and honestly, I think it is a, a small group. There, there's a very clear DeSon is part of that, another guy on our top 50 list is a part of that, and Elio Prado is a part of that. Uh, guys who are probably going to repeat Del Marva next year, and that's okay. They're young. DeSon, like you mentioned, he won't turn 21 until next July, so you can play half of next year as a 20 year old. They're going to repeat Delmarva because the elimination of short season ball, I think, did do a major number on a lot of these guys. They're just not ready for this level. Uh, but Deson is one who I think when I watch him, that extra year in Delmarva will benefit him. Uh, I don't want to get talking about the rest of Delmarva's roster because it's just going to make me sad. Uh, and I have some probably some hot takes. We're not a hot take podcast, but I, I think I've got some takes about the Del, Delmarva roster. Deson, not so much. He comes back, doesn't turn 21 until next July. Repeating level is going to be good. He's 6'4". You watch him walk up to the plate. It is, this is a mammoth human being, a mammoth kid walking up to that plate. I think you fill him out over the offseason, that's going to be the key. What work does he put in on the offseason? Because if he comes back next year and he's a bigger guy and he can tap into that power and, and become a better hitter, this is a guy who moves back up the prospect list. I mean, since he came off to the IL, he's got an OPS over 1,000. So clearly, something's starting to click with him. Let's just see what he can do. But air is still pointing up, I think, with Deson.
2: I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, like, he's six foot four. Like, his numbers might not scream a six foot four type of player, but that's going to take longer to get your swing in check and line everything up the way you're supposed to, especially as you're starting to face more tougher competition than you have at any point in your career. So, yeah, might take a little bit longer, but I'm still really high on him. And he's still probably gonna end up being well, maybe not probably, because Vavra's already hit the major leaguers, major league and uh performing well, but he's very good chance he's still the best part
0: of that trade return in the Michael Gibbons trade. Before we move on from this group, the only players that we haven't covered yet are Peak, Bronovitz, and Young, as well as Leandro Arias. So any thoughts on those guys? Or Chris Valamont is also should mention him too yeah,
2: yeah should definitely mention valmont definitely like the first guy i can remember where we claimed someone and i'm like what the hell and then all of a sudden i'm like oh i see why <laughs> he's going to be a decent pro- pitching prospect for us but peak and branovich just get better guys uh Bronovic, hope to see you sometime next year peak the year after whether it's relief or back in the starting role i still believe that they'll come back healthy and and uh, perform on some way or another at the major league level. And what was the other one? Uh, Brandon Young, same thing, <laughs>
1: get healthy and let's see what you can do next year. Yeah. This, this group of pitching prospects, a lot of potential, but injuries have wrecked it. Peaks injury was honestly the most devastating because he was in Bowie. He was pitching really well in Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. The strikeouts weren't there, but I mean, his ability to, when he would let a guy on, you know, leave a mistake over the plate, guy gets a base hit, or he does allow a walk. I think there's one game where he got he ended what four straight innings with a double play. And that's what he was able to do all season long. Uh so the his production definitely did not match a lot of the stats you saw with Zach Peak, I think. Um yeah, that's brutal news uh for him. Brandon Young, I still don't even know if we know exactly what Brandon Young's injury was, a shoulder or something. But he only pitched, what, 10 or 11 innings all season, and he was one of the, I think, fastest-rising pitching prospects in the system coming into the year. That's another tough blow. I think the only other guy was Leandro Arias. We have him at 33. I think he could move up pretty high on this list in the near future because the exit velo numbers that we're being told this guy is putting up in the Dominican Summer League are ungodly. I mean, 112, 114 miles an hour – this kid is knocking the cover off the ball as a 17, is he 17 years old? I think he's still. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. Like that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm like, oh, that's why fan is so high on him. Uh, And clearly why the Orioles uh, were high on him.
2: Yeah. Big fan of Leandro Arias. I think I have him over Braylon Tavera at this point, just based on the things I've heard. But again,
0: let's get him stateside
2: and, and see what they can do.
0: Yeah. He hits the ball hard and, Pretty good plate approach. We're, you know, 17 years old. He has a 374 on base percentage and twenty-four walks and 148 plate appearances. Yes, it is a DSL, but he's not gonna turn 18 until February. He'll probably be stateside next year. So this is a guy who I think has skills that are beyond his years, and it's just a matter of him building off them and you know putting them together. We'll go now to the forty-one through fifty part of this list and there are some really interesting players, some guys that have dropped a bit from our preseason list, but that for various reasons, we're still kind of high on and some guys that are just joining the top 50 number 41, Garrett Stallings, who has had really a tale multiple seasons um, has been all over the place this year, but since the start of July has been utterly dominant number 42, Anthony Servidio, who, Shows an impressive skill set that includes good defense and a patient plate approach, but has struggled to stay healthy over his two seasons in the system. Number 43, Antonio Velez. Believe the hype on the changeup, it is very good, but he has not produced good numbers at A Bowie this year. Number 44, Ryan Watson, one of the biggest risers in the system in 2022, a guy that, like Noah DeNoyer, has sought up our prospect rankings and is making a strong case for Orioles organizational pitcher of the year. Number 45, you've heard this name before, Yusniel Diaz. Uh number 46, Dante Williams, an outfielder that has put up mixed numbers at Aberdeen this year, but shows a good plate approach and an excellent defensive outfielder. Number 47, Robert Newstrom, left-handed hitter who can hit the ball just about as far as anybody in this farm system. The strikeouts have been a little high this year. Batting average not quite where you would want it, but the power is definitely still there with him. Number 48, the young infielder Anderson De La Santos. Number 49, Maverick Hanley, who has shed the glove first catcher label this year by hitting very well at double A Bowie and not just getting uh, cheap base hits here and there. He has hit some tape measure shots uh, for the Bay Sox. And number 50, Isaac De Leon, a young player who, like Misael De Son, got off to a slow start at Del Marva, but has an interesting skill set and has started the surge of late. Like I said, this is an interesting group, but I want to start with Garrett Stallings because I think we had an idea of who Garrett Stallings was coming into this season. Ground ball pitcher, good command, but had trouble with the long ball. Leaves a fastball out over the plate from time to time, and hitters can do damage against that. The question is, is anybody on base when they you know come up and they hit a fastball you know off the wall or over the wall for a home run? He was more or less that pitcher for the first two months of the season and then completely unraveled in the month of June. But since the beginning of July has been one of the most dominant pitchers in the system, not walking anybody, striking out guys more than he has at any point in his two seasons in pro ball. And the home runs that he's managed to keep them in check, the ground ball numbers have come back up after taking a serious dive early this season. And Nick, you had an interesting observation on one of our (laughs) – patreon exclusive dailies recently about stallings and his mix of pitches and that his success really depends on a couple of secondaries in particular working
1: yeah i i watched his last start against harrisburg pretty closely and i was pulling up his game log he hasn't given up a home run his last two starts um for me that's that's huge uh I have no idea what to make of Garrett Stallings, to be completely honest, but I did keep him. He's on 41st on my list as well because you look at the June, ERA almost 30, whip of him was five, right? Release him. He's done. He's toast. This is a a fall from grace like I've never seen before. (laughs) But he turns around in July, a 1.46 ERA, a 0.81 whip, 31 strikeouts, just two walks in the month of July. You cannot ignore that. And what I saw in Harrisburg was he fell behind 1-0 a lot, unfortunately. And when he did that, he's relying on that fastball. And the fastball, is it's just not a pitch that has a ton of movement, right? It's, it's not a high-velo pitch as well. It's low 90s, it's maybe upper 80s later in the games. But when he has to rely on that fastball, it's going to get hit. But if he can get ahead in the count and command the bottom of the strike zone, that's another issue as well. When he doesn't have that command of the bottom of the zone, this is where he wants to live, things get out of control. But if he can command the bottom of the zone, locate that fastball well and don't have to rely on that fastball. The slider and curveball are really good pitches. Those are strikeout pitches. Uh but when he can get ahead and and work the pitch counts that he wants, he's a good pitcher. Uh but at the end of the day, like I'm just I'm stumped because who has those two months on their resume? And what do you make of that?
2: Yeah, seriously. And even this first start in August was pretty good too. He's got 37 strikeouts to three walks in his past six starts. It's pretty crazy, which saved him from leaving my top 50 list. I have him at 48, even with such a great month. Plus, it's yeah, I don't know. Right-handed version of Bruce Zimmerman is a maybe ceiling, but he's he's clean. He he, he knew his life was on the line. He made some changes and he got it done. He, he he's hanging in there.
0: I want to know more about what happened in June. And I've been a little bit conservative in moving Stallings around on my list because of that, because I just look at his splits this season, month over month, and I keep thinking to myself, what was going on in June? Because it's really hard for me to wrap my head around you know, him being solid in the way that Garrett Stallings is typically solid for the first two months then awful, and then dominant. And to be clear, his June was not just like, oh, he had bad luck or he had one outing that really inflated his numbers. All of his outings in June were a real struggle. Um, his command was getting away from him. He was giving up home runs. And then he all of a sudden he flips a switch and he looks not just like the old Garrett Stallings, but a better version of Garrett Stallings. And I think we've seen at any point in pro ball, and I agree with Nick, those cur- the curveball and the slider are true strikeout pitches. And if he can just locate the fastball better and get those first pitch strikes, I think you have the type of pitcher that we thought the Orioles got when they traded Jose Iglesias to the Angels and got him and Gene Pinto in return, which is someone with you know, a decent shot at being a back-end starter in the major leagues. But can he put that together consistently? I'm not sure yet, but at the same time, that June was such an outlier that I don't know what to make of it, and I don't want to penalize him completely for it.
1: Yeah, this is a guy who was a top 30 prospect. I think everybody had him as a top 30 prospect last year, and deservedly so. And so I'm not going to – you have one bad month. You're not going to drop out of the top 50 list. I'm not that you know reactive to guys bad outings. This is a long season, and we're getting a fuller picture here with Stalins. And you know maybe there is a, a, an option here where – He should be lower on our list or maybe not even on our top 50. And he's a a relief prospect, but you know, and that time will tell, you know, that's, that's the guy who I want to have conversations with some more people about, because I've got to know, I hate talking about him on the show because I don't know and I need to know what the hell was going on and what did you do to fix all of this? That's not a tipping pitches issue. I, I, I just don't know.
2: Yeah, I wonder if he can be an unconventional multi inning reliever who only throws his fastball like five to 10% of the time just to keep hitters honest. He's like uh, spinning stuff only. I don't know. <laughs> there, Yeah, John Mioli needs to write an article about Garrett Stallings' season. You hear me, John? You got to do it.
0: John, you're the one that gets a, the big picture answers for us. So we're really counting on you <laughs> with this one. I do want to talk about Usneel Diaz a little bit. He hangs into our top 50, but barely. Um, There are times where you still see flashes of what made Usneel Diaz a top 100 prospect just a few years ago. I happened to see it Friday night in Norfolk, hit a long home run dead center field at Harbor Park, which is not an easy thing to do. There's two problems, though. He is, you know, continue to get hurt often. And when he is healthy, the results are all over the place at the plate. Yeah, you know, he could string together a good at bat and get an extra base hit or take a walk, or he could look really bad in a two or three pits at bat. And he just has not looked consistent enough to the point where I kind of understood. I said a few weeks ago. Now it's the time to see if Usiel Diaz can get you anything at the major league level. But I kind of understand the sentiment that Michael Elias conveyed, which was that Diaz really has not graduated A yet. The numbers back that up. The lack of experience overall, at that level in two seasons backs that up. So I want to know did either one of you drop Diaz from your top 50? And if not, how close were you?
1: It's not on mine. I, I've been done with him for a couple of months.
2: <laughs> He's number 42 on mine. I. It's probably my biggest regret. If I have one, I'm always tinkering with this list. I just don't know what to do with him. Dropping him is probably the right thing because I don't think he's probably ever going to get more than that one at bat in his career with the Orioles, unless there's a bunch of injuries or something and they need somebody. So, yeah,
1: I don't know. I have regrets. And it's just, it's an unfortunate story with him because the talent was always there. It was never an issue about the talent. Uh, the arm out in right field, the defense is good. He's a guy who I thought for sure could be a guy you bat sixth, seventh, eighth in your lineup. He's going to hit 260, 20-plus doubles, I don't know, 15 so home runs a year at the major league level. But the injuries just kept piling up. And like you mentioned, Zach, it's that is the case. He could have a beautiful swing, puts it all together, beautiful home run shot, a couple hard hit base hits, But at the same time, he's going to strike out three in his other three at-bats, and it's going to be at junk in the other batter's box. I mean, it feels like easy. Fastball up, slider away, you got him. He's over. Uh, Pretty easy at-bat. But, you know, it's – I just couldn't put him on my top 50 anymore. I I don't think he's long either. I don't think he ever makes it back to the major leagues with the Orioles as well. I'm sure he'll get another opportunity with another team, but unfortunate story. And with Ryland Bannon gone, it's, it's all up to Dean Kramer, I feel like, at this point.
2: Also feel like Diaz is a guy you catch him on a good day, like in person, especially you see him hit the ball 100 plus mile an hour off the bat. It sounds different. Like you'll be like, oh, my God, this is got to be with the best player in this organization. But then <laughs> you look at his numbers and his days on the I.L. and it's a different story. So, yeah. And maybe yeah. we should talk about Bannon a little bit. He fell off our list and then went back to the
1: Dodgers. Uh, happy trails, Rylan. <laughs> Good good defense over there at third base. I actually really enjoyed watching him play third base this year. Uh, actually, lately, I think he'd been one of the more consistent you know, clutch hitters for that Norfolk lineup, but clearly the organization wasn't ever going to give him a, a real opportunity. The fact there was that... The
0: over for Bannon to go, and I'll yeah. just throw this out there. This is why depth is important, because back when this show started in early 2020, Ryland Bannon was a guy that we talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. that we were excited to see what he could do after that strong 2019 season of Bowie. Was he going to tap into the power? Could he hit enough to stick at third base or second base every day, at least while the Orioles were transitioning to becoming a contending team? Because at that point, you know, Gunnar Henderson might be five years away. You know, you got to have your options lined up. Yet Ramon Rias, I think has kind of been what we would have hoped Ryland Bannon could be. And Rias was on our radar at that time um so that is why depth is important because not everyone is going to work out but hopefully you have someone right there that can step in and fill that role and i think that you know arias and bannon is a perfect example of that
2: that's a great point about arias as soon as you know when we were in st louis the Orioles were in st louis and they brought bannon up it was like okay he'll finally get his chance we need a infielder here no, he gets immediately sent back down. Tyler Nevin gets the opportunity instead. From that point on, I was like, okay, this organization clearly just does not think that highly of Ryland Bannon. It's only a matter of time before he's gone, and here we are.
0: So I'm gonna move down to the bottom of the list. Um Isaac DeLeon makes our top fifty. And this is a guy who had struggled at Del Marva for most of the season. All the while, though, maintained a really high walk rate and over the last two months has been what probably one of the hottest hitters in all of Low A, not just in Del Marva's lineup. And again, another young player out of the Dominican Republic, 20 years old. He'll turn 21 in November. Uh De Leon was not in my top 50. So I'm curious to find out who had De Leon in their top 50, where they were and why.
2: I think I single handedly got him on this list. You're welcome, Isaac. Um I had him at 46, so it's not like I went crazy. But just to put his turnaround, I've been talking about it from the beginning because his walk rate was so ridiculous all year. I'm like, if this guy could just hit a little bit, he's going to be a really good prospect. Since June 26th, he's batting 280 with an 831 OPS and 131 WRC+. And to zoom in a little bit more, from July 15th till now, he's batting 357 with an OPS exactly .175 wrc plus the power showing up with a 214 iso the walk percentage has come down but it had to anyway because he was clearly not being aggressive enough but he still has an 18 percent walk rate on the season got his strikeout rate under 30 percent now he's got a 113 wrc plus on the season so if he ends the year you know strong i think he could be in the what top seven of shortstops in this organization we're so loaded with them it's unbelievable but yeah i just have loved what he's been doing and i think this is another guy that you know when kobe perez talked about player repeating Del Marva and benefiting from it i think de leon is like the guy that i think about he must be talking about when he says that
1: yeah he's i put him in that Dayson group as well like him noel with romero elio prado those are the the four guys in particular that i see on that Del Marva roster from the hitter side of things uh, Creed Willems, as well, that they need another year back in, in Del Marva. I'm fine with having De on in our top 50 uh, final list uh, because yet yeah, the power is, is really showing up. Uh, the fielding, I think he's, how many, I don't know how many errors he has this year. It can get rough for him some nights, but, you know, it's, yeah. You know, this is a group that, you know, they just, they needed that experience and you're starting to see them settle in now here. There's only five, six weeks left in the regular season, but better late than never. Um, and he's only what twenty? He's still twenty years old, I think. So, yeah, this this is the fun part. The forty through fifty, I think, could be a fun part of this list because this is where I think we differ the most on the list. And it's just a matter of you know, do you value some of these quad A guys who are hanging around a little bit and you keep them on the list? I think I tend to gear more towards some of those guys on my the back end of my top fifty. When you got some higher ceiling guys like Isaac De Leon that you can slide in there as well, and it's. It's fun to see how this the final list uh, shook out, but I'm, I'm glad De Leon's on this list.
0: Yeah, I, I am too, and I'll be honest with you. Two months ago, I thought De Leon might get sent back to the FCL just because it seemed like if you had players that were coming in out of the draft that you knew were going to need at bats in Marva, De Leon seemed like, all right, maybe sending him back to the FCL, let him have a good month, end the season on the high note, send him back to Del Marva next year It's just 21, That's not going to hurt his development in the long run. But yet, he's been one of the Swerbirds' best hitters over the last two months. He has come into his own. And I really like the fact that throughout those struggles early in the year, he maintained the walk rate. The biggest concern for me is actually his defense. I don't know where he's going to end up in the field long term. Um, Right now, he's listed at 6'3", 209 on his baseball reference page. I don't know how much more he's going to fill out. Does he eventually have to slide over to first base? He's primarily played the left side of the infield this season, but has also appeared in nine games at first for Delmarva. That's a long-term question, but one that is kind of on the back of my mind. Whereas a guy like Michael Hernandez seems like he's definitely going to stick on the left side of the infield. I'm not as sure that's the case with De Leon.
1: Yeah, fair. I think – and looking at there's another shortstop, though, 48 on our list. Anderson De Los Santos is the guy who I'm excited to watch because he's another guy who has huge exit velo numbers. And the, the thing that you constantly hear about De Los Santos is his maturity, the baseball IQ, his leadership abilities in the clubhouse as well. That's the guy that, looking at this 41 through 50 list, probably, look again, yeah, 41 through 50 list, he definitely has the highest ceiling. And it's just a guy we don't have a ton of information on, except, you know, the exit velocity data and some you know stories uh, of people tell us. But that that's the guy who I am most excited for among this group. 100% I agree mm-hmm. with that. Um,
2: you know, you might look at his 198 batting average and 673 OPS in the FCL and think, oh, no, what happened mm-hmm. to him? But he's got a 226 batting average for balls in play, which definitely doesn't help. And even despite those numbers, he's got a WRC plus of 94, so just barely under league average. walk rate is up to 14.7%. He doesn't strike out, really. He's only striking out 16% of the time. He's hitting the ball hard, like you talked about. I just think uh, he's continuing to perform the same way he was. It's just not showing up in the the box score the way it did in the DSL. But I I fully expect
0: him to be a big-time breakout next year. Any other players in this group looking 41 through 50 that you have thoughts you want to elaborate on?
2: ryan watson yeah i was just going to talk about just because i think he might be one of the most underrated pitchers he might be the minor league pitcher of the year for the organization just because he's been consistent he's been there all year he's got a 3.45 era you know grayson was amazing but he only pitched for two months the hall has had moments of absolutely brilliance but he's been up and down i think watson's been there all year and um Nick, I'm sure I could pass the baton to a guy who just missed it. He's also in the running for organizational pitcher of the year. Um, but yeah, Watson to me, I, I think he's really improved his stock just as much as any pitcher has that started the year in the organization.
1: Yeah, I to be honest, and I had him. Where is he, he's on my, he's 46 on my personal list, so I can't say anything. But I think he's too low on our list. To be honest, he's just he's remained consistent all season. He goes deep into games. He doesn't walk many guys. He's someone who you watch him pitch and it's almost like he's not trying to. I could be totally wrong here, but I just get the vibe that he's not like trying to outsmart guys or outmaneuver them. It's like, here's my best stuff. I'll tell you what I'm going to throw. and Now hit it and catch up to it. And most guys can't hit it. I think he's 98 strikeouts to 19 walks this season. And you know how many starts he made in college when he was at Auburn? He made five starts in college. That's it. And now he is, he didn't start that much last year, his first year in the organization. And now he's probably Bowie's most reliable starter at the double A level should be in triple A right now. I, I think we've got Watson too low and it's a, it's a phenomenal pitching story in this organization, especially you know, when you look at Antonio Velez at 43, right above him. It's he's getting shelled right now and he's on the injured list all year. Ryan Watson has remained consistent all season long.
2: Yeah. I have him 38 on my list and I'm almost positive. He leads the organization or minor league organization in innings pitched with 91.1. So just a bulldog workhorse for this team.
0: Move on now to the best of the rest. We're each going to pick a guy that was on our personal top 50 that did not make the overall list. And Bob was alluding to this a minute ago. So I am going to start with Nick with who has a, Definite candidate for organizational pitcher of the year.
1: Yeah, I'm disappointed he's not on our final list here, but that's okay. He'll he'll make up for it next year. Uh, Justin Armbruster, uh, he's on my personal list. I have him 47th. And again, when I finished my list, I was like, Ryan Watson is way too low, and Justin Armbruster is way too low. I think he's legitimate since he's been promoted to Double A. I'm trying to pull up just the Double A numbers here. 34 two-thirds innings in A, 38 strikeouts, just four walks. The guy doesn't walk anybody. Fastball's up to 95, 96 miles an hour. Slider's getting better. I noticed that in his last outing. The slider, he was using that to get strikeouts as well. This is another one of these instances where he was, what, a mid-round draft pick out of New Mexico? I mean, small school guy that I think if – when you watch Justin Armbruster and Ryan Watson and Noah DeNoyer have the success they're having – this is what makes me excited about this draft class of pitchers that are coming in as well. But speaking of Armbrister, fantastic year, and he deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to do with Bowie this year. 100%. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can uh,
2: pick out my guy that did just missed our top 50 or is on the outside looking in that could definitely be a guy to keep an eye on. And that for me is going to be Aaron Estrada who didn't technically make my personal top 50, but he was not far off. I really wanted to do it. Maybe should have took Euston Diaz's place, but uh, this kid is something else. I don't know what he signed for, but give him a million dollar bonus for what he's doing in the DSL, just absolutely lighting the world on fire. Uh, Plays second base, lefty bat, aggressive swing. I can't wait to see what he does when he gets stateside next year.
0: Yeah, Estrada has been remarkable this year. I felt like I didn't have enough to go on with Estrada because we heard very little about him coming into this season, and although he was recently shouted out by Kobe Perez, it's not like we have a lot of data or a lot of intel from the Dominican Summer League about Estrada that I could put him in the top 50, but he was strong consideration for me. The guy that I went with was just drafted by the Orioles out of Auburn. That's Trace Bright. Now, the raw numbers at Auburn didn't look great, but, yeah, high ERA, but excellent strikeout numbers led the team in innings pitched. And what you have in Bright is a pitcher who possesses excellent raw stuff, a fastball that right now rides in the mid-90s, tops out at 97, with reports saying that he has a very good slider. The key is going to be honing those four pitches with his command, slider, curveball, Chains up in particular. And we know the Orioles really emphasize the change up, and that is something they can teach. Uh, so it's just going to be commanding his secondaries a little bit better, locating the fastball consistently. But I think he's a better pitcher than what that ERA at Auburn shows. And what I see here is a guy that could be a, a quick riser, either because the Orioles get a hold of him, they fix some things, and he moves quickly as a starter, or you have a really good fastball slider combination that could stick in the bullpen. And I'll admit that it might be a bit of a reach putting bright at this spot, but for a guy that's just 21 years old has the good raw stuff. And I think the Orioles organization has good plans for these types of pitchers. So I felt comfortable just sticking him in my top 50. I actually had him 50th on my list right behind Brendan Hannafee who I was surprised to not see on the top 50.
1: Yeah. 49th on my list. I had to sneak him in there. <laughs> Coming back from Tommy John, not relying on that heavy, heavy sinker anymore for watching him with Bowie. Now that he's back with Bowie, not relying on that pitch, using the changeup, using the slider. That's good to see. I, I think, you know, with Tommy John guys, it, it, the command control is kind of the last thing to come back. And we're seeing that with Hanafy. but he's, he's off to a, another good start. And, I mean, I don't know who else you guys had on your top 50 that didn't make it, but I've got some other like names on my list that are in no order here, but we just went through 50 and a little bit more, and I still think there are guys who could be contributors at the next level that are not up here. You know, like Creed Williams is not on our top 50, Juan De Los Santos, Moises Chasse, Zach Watson fell, Ignacio Feliz, Peter Van Loon, Jacob Teeter. Uh, Luis Valdez is getting interesting. Um, stuff question about him, but you know, Trenton and Craig, Elio Prado, Roller and Adam Hall didn't make our top 50. Like, so many names, so many names to, to look out for. Yeah,
2: I'd like to throw in Colin Burns, uh, shortstop for Aberdeen. He's had a really solid, consistent year all year. He's personally in my top 50, but you know, just didn't shake out that he made it on the uh, master list this time.
0: I was a little surprised that Edwin Amparo didn't make the top 50. 17 um, year old down in the Dominican Summer League, one of the big acquisitions the Orioles had in the most recent international free agent in class. He was 46 on my list. And while the pure stat line has not been great in the Dominican Summer League this year, I appreciate the fact that he's a 17 year old with good walk numbers who never strikes out. And it does feel like it's six foot, 165 pounds, is what he's listed at right now. There is room for him to fill out the reports on him coming into this season were really positive. So I felt like that while he's definitely a guy that has a lot of development ahead of him, that he was worthy of top 50 for me.
1: Yeah, I, he he was on my top 50 coming into the year and remained on there for most of the year. I think I just took him off, but the, the Dominican Summer League guys, I mean we've gotten a little bit of information on some guys, but it's it's much harder to get that info and to rank these kids and not even just edwin amparo but Raylan ramos an outfielder down in the dsl is putting up phenomenal numbers especially lately bob mentioned aaron estrada thomas sosa is a guy that i really like the numbers he walks a lot but uh you know he's putting up big numbers there there are some some dsl guys there's a a luis de leon a pitcher a left-handed pitcher in the dsl that no one is talking about that i randomly found looking at the box scores like I'm seeing his name a lot. Found some video on Instagram, big lefty, big curveball. There, There are some real sleepers down there in the DSL. And it's just a matter of, we got to get eyes on those kids. But it is fun to imagine now that we have a real international presence, we have a whole nother layer of prospects to look at and consider here.
2: Not to mention Juan Rojas, Juan Nunez recently coming over in trade. Can't remember if you just named Raylan Ramos. Um, just so many names. I keep a top 100 and it's even hard to like say, oh, all right, who do I want to take off this list now? Who do I want to take off this top hundred? Which is pretty crazy to think about.
1: All that orange Kool-Aid we're drinking is Yep. so positive. I don't know. <laughs> no orange Kool-Aid, but I did bring the orange beer tonight. So uh maybe maybe that's helping the uh the evaluations there. Hey, Oktoberfest loggers <laughs> are not too far away. Orange orange dreamsicle. Uh so there you go. We're dreaming over <laughs> here. <laughs> Sleeping soundly.
0: Well, that's our look at the top 50 for the Orioles farm system. Don't forget, it will be up on BaltimoreSportsInLife.com this week. So if you haven't already, check that out. We post our updates to BSL twice a year. This is the first time we've done it since the winter. So our next update on BSL will probably be another five month, five or six months uh, once we get closer to spring training through the offseason. And this might be a year where the Orioles subtract. From the top 50 list over the offseason. We'll see. But if you are a member of our Patreon community, you will get monthly updates in both September or October. So make sure to check that out. And also check out BaltimoresportsandLife.com for all the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. Hop on the Mets board there, joining discussion with fellow readers of the site, as well as contributors. And follow us on Twitter at birds for good content throughout the week. Bob, Nick, we've covered a ton of ground tonight, but before we wrap up, any final thoughts?
1: Finish strong. We're down to, I think, FCL and DSL wrap up in the next couple of days, uh, like two weeks or so, uh, and then Delmarva and Aberdeen and the rest of the affiliates start wrapping up not too long after. We're coming to an end, so I hope these guys uh, can finish on a finish on a high note. Yeah, just
2: had a lot of fun putting this top 50 together, as always, and talking about it on here. It's a great group of players and people, and it's just so much fun to talk about this stuff with patrons and people that just interact with us that aren't Patreon Patreon supporters. Um, yeah, I like the staggered ending to the season. It's going to be like FCL ends one week, then Delmar over the next, and Aberdeen and the Billy, and then like Norfolk goes all the way to the end of the major league season. So I, I like that they did that for us to give us a, a topic for the entire month of September. We can wrap up each one each week.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have a lot of coverage here over the next two months and into the off season. So keep listening for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Sweden. You've been listening to on the Verge.